Youth has a story to tell. This podcast offers a space where students from various nations and backgrounds discuss their life stories before joining a United World College. Being a refugee, overcoming mental health challenges, sharing about substance consumption, forgiveness, elaborating on the impact of oppression and misconceptions. They expose their goals and their beliefs. They inspire by communicating diverse worldviews. Young people have a lot to say about life. Are you ready to listen? My name is Olivier Aimant. I identify with the pronouns he and him. I was born and raised in what is called today the province of Quebec in Canada until I moved to Tanzania in 2016 and then, after four years, I migrated to Thailand. I'm many things, but for this project, let's just say I'm a teacher. I will also be the host in Youth with a Story to Tell. I consider my profession as a lifestyle. This doesn't mean that I'm a workaholic. It's rather a belief that the life I live benefits the job that I do and vice versa. In my five-year full-time teaching career, I was also a boarding house parent for two years in the two schools I worked at, UWC East Africa in Arusha, Tanzania, and UWC Thailand in Phuket. It's in my last school that the idea of youth with a story to tell first appeared. I was having dinner with a student at the canteen, as we normally do, and the student shared with me and others one of his many life stories. He was explaining the context in which he left Lebanon and his family to come to UWC. Being a Syrian national on a refugee status, he told me how and why he was going to be banned from Lebanon when leaving, and the impact this had on his immediate and upcoming future. The complexity of his situation blew my mind, and I said, wow, I wish I could record what you just said and have my people hear your story. He will be the guest in the first episode if you're curious to know more about him, and if you want to see the the extent of the complications holding a refugee status may bring. A week after that discussion, We were sitting with more students, again at the canteen having dinner, and the students and I started telling stories from home or from the countries we lived in. Some of these stories we often only see in movies or read in books. They're the kind of anecdotes that would give you chills. That's when I knew I wanted people to hear this to gain some perspective. Also I, along with six students who helped with the ideation of this podcast, felt compelled to give the students a platform to share their voice, if that's what they wanted to do, to talk about their stories and maybe make others see that they're not alone. If you are yourself a student at a UWC or at a school anywhere around the world, you may find in this podcast that you have peers who share similar stories or sometimes going through similar challenges. I hope for you that no matter what you're going through, you can find someone to accompany you. I observe that for some people going through traumatic experiences, and depending on the context they're brought up in, the emotions that arise might not have their place to be expressed or talked about. 
Know that your emotions, your feelings, have a reason to be. And they deserve to be explored. UWC stands for United World College. It's a movement of 18 schools and colleges dispersed around the world, connecting with national committees from over 160 nations. The UWC movement was founded by Dr. Kurt Hahn, an educator who sought a change in the way humans look at each other, interact with each other, work together. His mission was and still is to make education a force to unite people, nations and cultures for peace and a sustainable future. I repeat, to make education a force to unite people, nations and cultures for peace and a sustainable future. To do so, he created a system where young people would get opportunities to live and learn together, regardless of their nationality, social economical background, language abilities, skin color, religion, gender, sexual orientation, family situation, etc. Every year, around 180,000 students apply to United World College. Some of them get selected after the essays, the reference letters, the interviews, the financial screenings, and more. The idea is not for the national committees to select according to the grades of the students. It's rather a holistic evaluation of the students' profile against the five pillars of UWC. Outdoor education, service, activities, social-emotional learning, and academics. The students who get selected may be offered scholarships that match the financial capacity or incapacity of the family. The scholarships would range from, I could say, 5 to 100%. So the situation is this for me. I taught French at UWC schools, and I was also a boarding house parent, which means that with other colleagues, I lived with and cared for young people aged between 15 and 20 years old, coming from whichever country, speaking whichever language, practicing whichever religion, bringing whichever amount of money, carrying whichever privilege. To give an idea, last year, we had a boarding house of about 70 students and we could count around 40 to 45 different nationalities and probably just as many cultures. In the end, we all cohabit, share meals, wake up and go to school together, play games, watch movies, study, say goodnight and repeat the next day. Don't get me wrong. As wonderful as it may sound, it's in fact quite a challenging way of living, for me at least. It's highly nourishing though. Not because it's easy, but because we are constantly and willingly mixing with the other, the people who are different from us, hence everyone, and I find that it puts us in a constant but healthy confrontation with ourselves. Changes may occur. This is actually the intended effect. In my opinion, and I'm pretty sure I read this recently on social media, no real change happens without a certain level of pain or discomfort. So I guess it's fair to say that when we go to a UWC, as students or staff members, we're not sure what exactly will happen, but we deliberately go and accept the adventure in spite of the challenges. Living in such diversity can be considered as a wealth that we share and it may allow an exploration of the world through the eyes of the young peoples we live with. It fires up discussions, 
it raises concerns, allows celebrations, causes misunderstanding, leads to agreement or disagreement. Sometimes, to be fully transparent, we may feel like we need a break. <laughs> I have myself felt a need to step out for holidays or, more personally, reconnect with my own cultures. You know what? UWC threw me out on a search for my own identities. I reviewed beliefs and, at the same time, consolidated opinions. I have felt pain, sadness and even shame. I still do an attempt to unfold these feelings. After deep reflections and long discussions with a variety of people, I understood that the nature of these feelings is about where I come from or who I come from in terms of ancestors and the many privileges I benefited just from being born. I know that I did not do anything to deserve some of my privileges and sometimes I see some people that I care about and love suffer from the absence of these same privileges. Having a Canadian passport is the best example I can give here to express this idea. You will often hear in the episodes that I mention my privileges. Regardless where we are and what we do at this moment in this world, I consider that acknowledging our privileges, sometimes out loud but mostly in silence, is a fundamental first step in the creation of well-being in our societies. I think it's an essential part of the work we must do to improve our interaction with another person. Consciously acknowledging our own privileges necessarily puts us in comparison with the other, which should minimally lead to a conscious consideration of the other. Food for thought. This leads me to mention that I'm aware of my verbal clumsiness and sometimes inability to express some ideas and some concepts appropriately, or even pronounce names adequately, and I apologize for this in advance. In this podcast, I put myself out there knowing that I still make mistakes. The topics we discuss are for me highly complex, as well as the situation of communication. At the same time, it really represents the difficult nature in having some discussions with the other, thing we practice on a daily basis at a UWC. I try to refrain from saying inaccuracies or incorrect facts, and yet I may have done it. I invite you to contact me using the DMs of my Instagram page if you have precisions to share. I'm open to receive corrective feedback where I need it. The work is ongoing. Anyway, in youth with a story to tell, we will hear the stories that some of these young people carry out with them when they come to a UWC. From a teacher's perspective, it shows me that we never really see the full picture of the students we have in front of us. We see faces, we hear voices, we notice behaviors, but what really lays in the hearts of the students and what's on their mind, we do not know. So we cannot pretend to know and act upon our own perceptions. My father once told me that real friends are the ones who do not judge you. They're the ones who try to understand you. I always sought to apply this mindset in my job because I know that a student's behavior or misbehavior is more often than never stimulated by factors that are external to them and external to me. The idea is not to become friends with them, but to develop friendly relationships. And that's when, in my eyes, 
the magic of education happens. We are not friends, but we develop a friendly relationship that leads to trust, balances our interactions, raises respect, and hopefully elevates motivation. It doesn't mean either that we do not raise the bar high for the students or that we totally remove their responsibility in their actions. I'm simply talking about the interactions with them. In the light of this belief, here's one thing I consider. If a student behaves in opposition to a rule we set inside and outside the classroom, our role as educators is to take the opportunity to explore with them why they have breached the rule in the first place. Consequences may be applied, yes, but ideally, we should find ways with the students to improve this aspect of their life in a way that makes sense for them and the society they live in. The link I'm making here is that, again, what's in their heart or on their mind might be of a much bigger importance than the rule they're behaving against. Something more meaningful like the separation of their parents, or the absence of one or of the two. A shameful or hurtful comment that was made about them on social media. Or the absence of approval or likes for the picture they posted. Moving apartment, house, school, neighborhood, country, or displacement. Emotional distress, such as a breakup or being overwhelmingly in love. Questions about their gender identification, their sexual orientation, going through a transition. Contemplating the idea of self-harm or suicide. Being bullied, excluded, stigmatized, whatever the reason, or for some, thinking of how they will bully, exclude and stigmatize others. Experiencing racism, sexism, xenophobia, homophobia, transphobia body changes, negative judgments about their religion or spirituality, clothing or body shaming, colonialism, patriarchy, learning difficulties, mental health issues, war, PTSD, harassment, assault, rape, addictions of any kind. <laughs> I can't name everything the students are going through on a daily basis, but they are. And there are young people just trying to learn to deal with the dilemmas of life. They're trying to make sense of their choices, to understand the choices they're making, and the impact these have on them and the people around. And our role is to offer a presence to accompany them. I believe that for us teachers, we can never dismiss the presence of these issues, and that we should always consider them when we interact with students, or when we set or reinforce expectations which is partly our function. And I believe that the only way to truly be sensitive to the students' realities is to sit down with them and listen. Listen. Being attentive and genuinely interested. If this sounds unrealistic or unreasonable for colleagues of mine who share the profession, I want you to know that I'm aware of factors that could get in the way. Class size, teaching loads, extracurricular responsibilities, planning, marking, our personal lives. The reflection might not be directed to you personally, but rather to the system we navigate in. The question is, is there room for me to know who these young people are? If the answer is yes, 
then it's really up to us to create connections with them. It's our job and our mission. If the answer is no, then the system we work in needs a change. I know that thousands of my fellow teachers think the same and for those who do, I salute your work and I'm grateful to share the same philosophy. So whoever you are, whether you're an educator of any kind or an adult who does not often interact with young people and you are listening to this podcast, I hope that you will see how interesting, thoughtful our students are and how much they have to say about life. I know that some might think that the guests of this podcast represent one type of students being from UWC schools. About this, I want to remind you that they did not grow up in the UWC world. Most of them got to a UWC starting from somewhere between 15 or 19, and they come from over 160 nations, yours probably included. I was often told by my friends or family that my students are amazing because they go to international schools and all. Well, my answer was always that teenagers are teenagers, no matter where, what, or who they come from, or where we are on the planet. What they all have, no exception made, is a potential that lies within, often just waiting to be fulfilled. Humans are humans, regardless of what they look or speak or live like. They are human. Anyway, after elaborating on my philosophy of education, I would now like to name five ethical considerations we thought about when making the podcast. First, we speak English, which for most, me included, is a second, third or fourth language. I invite you to make a sympathetic effort to be patient and to read the messages between the lines. The level of vocabulary varies from one person to the other. The rhythm might be slower than what you are used to. Some sentences might be grammatically incorrect. That's the work we have to do when we live in diversity, whatever type of diversity. The key to access the truth that the youth share might not be by asking them to change the way they speak, but by adjusting the way we listen as well. Communication is a shared responsibility between the producer of the message and its receiver. Example from the classroom. We all have asked students to speak louder in certain situations. We even might have added this as a criterion for success for oral evaluations. The range of volume of an individual, however, may have its limits for a variety of factors. What about we built a habit of getting closer to the speaker instead and just see what happens? Because in reality, is the loudest in the room necessarily the most eloquent? Or the one we can or should listen to the most? The second ethical consideration is the respect for the identity of the guests. Each episode starts with what I call the consent phase. The guests will be asked six questions and their answers will set boundaries in the interaction. Before recording, I would ask the questions and clarify their actual meaning. For example, the second question is, do you want to be heard? Which essentially means, do you want your episode to be published? I reserve the right to edit when necessary to respect the participants' boundaries and know that each guest gave their consent for the release of the final version of their episode. They were also told that any part of the discussion can be removed if they wish so, 
and that at any point in time, I can remove the episode from the platforms if they ask. The next and third ethical consideration is the fact that we made the conscious choice to not film the interviews. Three main reasons. One, we do this to respect and even protect the identity and the privacy of the guests, which refers to the previous point. Two, the guests give their voices, gesture done to advocate for people who might not have a voice, and for all the people we often do not see. We live in an era where we actually do not always need to see and watch in a voyeur way to really know, understand, and accept realities. Three, we aim to limit the bias. We recognize that the presence of bias is normal and inevitable. However, we do it as a conscious effort to reduce its noise as much as we can. The fourth consideration is that the participants agree to the project from free will and personal motivations. The stories they share, the topics they discussed, they decided. This is not a class project and especially not one for which they were assessed. The concept was created outside of school time. It was advertised to the students and they were kindly invited to participate. We recorded on weeknights or weekends in my boarding house apartment kitchen, a place where students used to hang out to cook, study, chill, share meals. By the way, we may sometimes hear geckos as background noise because in Thailand, as well as in many other warm climate regions, we find lots of these friendly reptiles in our home. If you know, you know. The fifth and final ethical consideration is a land acknowledgement I want to make. The episodes were recorded in Phuket, in the kingdom of Thailand, land of the Thai people. I greet my Thai friends from afar and express my gratitude for the way they welcomed me in their home. I would also like to acknowledge that the land on which I edited this podcast is Nyon Wensio, what is currently known as Quebec City. Nyon Wensio is the unceded territory of the Huron Wendat people. Unceded means that it still belongs to the Huron Wendat nation. This agreement was signed under the Huron British Treaty of 1760, a treaty of peace, friendship, and mutual support. The Huron Wendat people are still working for recognition and respect of their rights. I'm doing this in an attempt to recognize the place I have and the place that I don't have in this world, and I know that I've been borrowing lands of indigenous peoples my whole life, being a descendant of colonial settlers here on Turtle Island, what is currently and partly known as Canada, as well as when I was living in Tanzania and in Thailand. I recently came to the radical realization that I will never be indigenous to a place. I cannot pretend that I am. It does not mean that I don't have a home, that I don't have roots, and I'm not sad about this aspect of my identity. It simply adjusts my own worldview. I salute the courage and resilience of the indigenous peoples around the world for being still here today and for keeping fighting for their rights. In terms of being a teacher at a UWC, or if you are a student going to a UWC, I invite you to integrate the idea that you are borrowing a territory for your own studies and your own experiences, and that in spite of the cultural mix you will find yourself in, there is one specific nation that hosts you. 
Explore the cultural, legal, social, linguistic ways of your hosts. Without a doubt, this will enrich your soul. Furthermore, I understand that land acknowledgement is not an action that creates the desired change. In the description of every episode, I will add the links of artists, people and organizations you can explore and or donate to for both Thailand and the indigenous peoples who have been here since time immemorial in what is currently called North America. To conclude this prelude, I want to express my gratitude to Rania, Mohammed, Bamlak, Karma, Eman and Tonson for helping create the project Youth with a Story to Tell. You know you inspire me and I miss you already. Breda, this last year, you were a key element in my personal and professional reflections. Many things I mention here are a result of our discussions and you will recognize words and sentences taken from our numerous sharing moments. Thank you for being who you are. As well, merci, obrigado, asante to my friends Alex Lagagnard, Cece and Siadi for your advice on podcast recording, mic technology and sound efficiency and for the general inspiration you are to me. Tia Wang to the people from the Huron Wendat Nation office in Wendake Neon Wensio for guiding me through the formulation of an appropriate land acknowledgement. I extend this gratitude to the Indigenous Foundation, who you can follow on Instagram, for providing me with education about Indigenous peoples. And finally, cheers and thank you to the music group New Bleach for allowing their song Stranger to be the theme track of our podcast. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you enjoy listening to the stories of the youth. The future is still